Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion, and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. Very excited to have joining us today, John Burns. John is the CEO of Accentual Wealth Advisors, a leading provider of fee-only objective investment management and financial planning to individuals, families, corporations, business owners all around the country. The firm also serves as a fiduciary for institutional-level clients and corporate and municipal retirement plans. It's amazing the growth that John has had, not only from a uh, internal constituents and stakeholders up to roughly 70 today, but also from an asset standpoint where they're now managing uh, roughly $3 billion in assets. They're one of the fastest growing firms in the U.S. as named by Financial Advisor Magazine. Uh, they've been listed as one of the country's top independent RIAs by Financial Times. Accenture currently has offices in Oklahoma City, Old Lyme, San Antonio, and Frisco, Texas. The firm and its experts are regularly called upon for speaking engagements, including panels, and John has participated in many forums sharing his views, including CNBC, Fox News, U.S. News World Report, CNN, and Bloomberg. John's been in the industry for 30 years now, and one of his initiatives at Vixential has been to attract, retain, and mold next-generation talent. We're going to talk a little bit about that today and what he's done and how the firm has grown from when I first met him with roughly 10 employees slash internal stakeholders to now seven times that. John earned his bachelor's degree in business administration from the University of Oklahoma in 1986. He attained his CFP in 92, serves on the board of the FPA, both locally and nationally. He and his wife, Melanie, live in Oklahoma City with three children. Mitchell, who attends Boston College, actually he's graduated from Boston College now. Jake, who lives in Dallas, works in commercial real estate, and Murphy, who lives uh, in Dallas and works for the Mavericks. So with that, John, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jeff. It's a, it's a pleasure and, and always fun to spend a little time with you. So I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate it. So let's go back to the beginning. And the beginning does not mean any recognitions that you earned in the first grade. I'm thinking more about the professional beginnings. Talk a little bit about how you got started in the industry and maybe what the path was that led to the inception of the firm that you run today. Sure, sure. So, yeah, in the very beginning, um, got out of school in, in 86, as you as you mentioned. And, you know, I, I, I look at that period of time as really pretty fortuitous. In 1986, in Oklahoma and Texas in particular, the, the, the economy is really rough with a kind of a, a recession in the energy space and the like. So getting getting jobs and work was difficult getting out of college. And I was lucky enough to get a job with John Hancock in the financial planning space. I can't say that I was seeking it out, but it was the best opportunity that I had. And it turned out to be kind of perfect for me, skill sets, and to be able to to, to help people in, in a way that was really just fantastic. So I feel a little lucky, you know, with the career choice at that time. Um, I spent the first 10 years there with John Hancock and it was all about financial planning and the beginnings of kind of financial planning movement. Earning your CFP and being a certified financial planner was a new thing. And, and today there's thousands of them. But it was a, kind of a relatively new career. 
at that point in time. I'm also particularly lucky that the gentleman that, that hired me, Jim Morris, was the, the general agent of John Hancock at the time for Oklahoma. And he was a fantastic mentor, taught me a lot about, and I studied more after school than I ever did in around money and finance and tax and, and how all that, that is integrated to client success. So he taught me work ethics, study habits, and general business principles. And so Jim went on to, from, from a, um, a GA, he went on to be a, a part of John Hancock's management team that actually took them public. And so I learned from a very good entrepreneurial spirit that, that really helped me throughout and still helps me to this day. So that's kind of the early beginning. And I spent 10 years there and was a big part of any future success that, that, that I had. One of the most important things in that business is you had to learn to go get clients. You had to go learn to build a business rather than a job where maybe you come in, work for somebody and work on clients or projects that they already have. So understanding the importance of new business and, and development and growth is a mindset that, that I learned early. And, and I, I, I credit the career path and, and also uh, Mr. Morris that, that uh, helped me so much. Yeah, there's some great stuff there. So you just gave me a flashback when you talked about Oklahoma in 1986 and kind of the crisis around oil. I was a sophomore or a junior in college. This is just a bizarre story, but I know, and this mine is a Texas story, but I think Texas and Oklahoma would have been very closely related relative to that industry, right? Yes. So, so I was a sophomore or junior in college, and I wrote a report on cyclical economies and about the tens of thousands of people that had left the keys on their countertops in, in Houston, Texas, which was very much driven by oil at the time before technology became more prevalent there. They left the keys on their counters and they left because they lost their jobs and they walked away from their homes. So in getting data from the banks and kind of looking at some of this stuff, somehow I have no idea that one bank in particular had assumed that I was an investor and that's why I was gathering the data. And I ended up buying a half dozen homes in a town called Cypher, which is sort of a Houston suburb off of FM 1960. And here I was in college, right? But I was working full-time while I was going to school full-time. And that was probably my first exposure to entrepreneurship, whereas I was barely shaving and I had bought a handful of beautiful, you know, single family homes that had been built and sold for 150 grand at 25 to $30,000 a copy because anybody that would even attempt to make the payments, the banks were willing to unload. So when you said, you know, oil in 86, that's what, that's the first thing that came to mind. That was probably my, maybe my first entrepreneurial experience. Well, that's a very cool story. And, and I know you're right. Um, Oklahoma, Texas was kind of hit with a triple whammy. One, it was the, the, the energy bust. Um, you had the 1986 tax law changes that, that severely hurt energy, real estate with the tax laws. And, and so it was, it was a difficult time. In fact, my parents were living in Houston at that time. And my dad was, had developed some real estate really right along that FM 1960 quarter in, in Champions, Champions Forest area and Cypher is just down the, the road there. So yeah, it's a flashback. Yeah. It feels it, like another lifetime. It feels exactly. like another lifetime. Yeah. But, but I remember that I was still in school and I said, God, these banks are crazy. But because I filed a tax return, I was working full time. It didn't seem to care that I was 19 years old and said, fine, they want to sell me houses for $5,000 down that I'll buy as many as I'll sell, you know, and then that was really my, and it wasn't, it was more of a learning experience than it was, you know, a wealth creation experience. But 
People were afraid of real estate, so many were apt to rent versus buy. So I leased those homes out and sold them for twice what I paid for them, you know, four, three, four, five years later. And But it was right. just a great education in cyclical economies and how sectors can go out of favor, how renting versus owning can, you know, come in favor, go out of favor. And it was just a great learning experience more than anything else. So talk a little bit about John. When you say John Hancock and general agents, I think about a guy who I've respected for as long as I've known him now, 15 years. He was an icon in that system. His name was Mike Sakara. I think about another gentleman who's an advisor out West who was iconic. And people don't really recognize that a lot of these insurance broker dealers, uh, my friend who was sort of the GA in Ohio and another newer friend who's just an iconic, huge advisor in Northern California with Hancock. A lot of these firms trained and built great leaders and great advisors Talk about some of just the fundamental principles you learned, John. You said you learned how to get clients. What did they teach you, and how did you actually acquire clients early on when you were starting from scratch? Well, this is really dating, but in those days, you know, I, of course, I was young. I didn't have a natural market. I didn't have, you know, I didn't really have a lot to go on. So I cold called. Um, I didn't really like doing it over the phone. Um, I liked the idea of business owners. Plus, you could go see them in the day. So I would go call on businesses and, you know, I would set a target that I would want to meet, you know, 10 to 20 a day. And so that's how I would go do it. I would go introduce myself, what we did and how we help business owners. And, you know, you would get some appointments back in those days. They kind of had the, what, what they called the Al Granum system. And that was basically a 10, three, one, you had to have 10 appointments, you know, to get three prospects, to get one actual client. The importance of that even today is that a, a lot of success is still a numbers game. You know, you, you have to get yourself and your message at an individual level, at a team level, at a company level, out in the marketplace. And you have to get it out there a certain number of times to get a certain amount of traction there to find the number of people that might actually have a need and the timing is right in their lives for a financial plan for for you know what, what you're offering in investments or what, whether that's a succession or business continuity for an advisor that that might want to join our platform but the basics are the same so even though technology's changed a lot has changed in 30 years the basics of success have not so I think that all that, that was really integral. The other thing that it, it taught me is if I was doing that during the day, then I would basically study at night. I was getting my CFP. I was learning as much as I can. And you, so you learn time management, you learn discipline, the importance of, of capturing business, the importance of, of, of delivering a fantastic personal client experience. All of that was learned in the, other, in the early years. Yeah, so you're, you're onto something there. Before you said the word you just said a moment ago, I wrote it down two minutes ago listening to you, and it's discipline, right? So many things change. I don't know that people are would as easily walk into businesses today, but I suspect you actually could. There's no reason not to. I literally did the exact same thing, but it's activity and discipline. And $3 billion later, whatever you did obviously worked. You built a gigantic and successful firm. And it's applying that discipline to whatever type of marketing you're doing today. It could be through social media. It could be LinkedIn. It could be picking up the phone. It could be walking into companies. But when people grow, and I hold myself accountable today from an activity standpoint, you know, and now it's a little bit different, right? A lot of mine is succession planning driven, looking for opportunities for us to invest. It's looking for teams that break away from a recruiting standpoint. But if I'm an advisor, 
that new client acquisition is no different. How many hours am I allocating? What activities am I participating in? What preparation is required for me to be reaching out to my ideal client prospect? And when people execute with discipline and with a process and they do it consistently, they shouldn't be surprised when they grow amazing businesses. And I'm guessing a lot, you might do things somewhat differently today, but I suspect a lot of the same disciplines and process and activity is embedded in your firm to some degree, back to your very early learnings. That's right. I, I think, uh, you know, successful business always have to continue to innovate or, or you risk kind of being, being obsolete, but you're innovating around those core disciplines, activity levels and, and the like. So it's, it's just as important, if not more today. So let me ask you, John, when you think about business development and you look at Accenture today and you look at Accenture into the future, and I know you well enough to know that, you know, you're a guy who's focused on quality, focused on success and focused on growth. How does Accenture get from three to six billion? I suspect the portion of it is inorganic. I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. And I also suspect a portion of it is organic, right? Client referrals and business development. So how does Accenture sort of double in size? And what's the strategy to be successful both with organic and inorganic? Great questions. And so I think uh, the challenge for us and for many advisory firms is that traditionally we've grown our businesses through our own personal work ethic, activity, discipline, and, and providing that personal experience. So the challenge that many advisory firms are having is that growth is slowing down as founders of firms are getting maybe a little bit older. Um, maybe they're not doing quite as much business development and, and a lot of other things are taking their time and attention away from that. And so a challenge for our firm and, and for any firm when you're when you're building kind of a next generation firm, if you will, or the way that I think about it is is building building an enduring firm for the next hundred years. Well, most of that has to happen that is irrespective of me. In other words, I'm somewhat irrelevant into any element of the business, including business development. And, and so the challenge is, is developing the culture and the, the, the ways necessary to do that. So I think COIs and referrals and introductions from clients and, active and, and uh, being involved in a committee are always going to be important, but that can't be the only growth engine. So today... You know, we, we partnered with um, several custodians and they have a need and their clients have a need for great financial advice and execution and, and investment. And so we capture a lot of business from that. Creating a, a digital experience that can create lead generation is something that um, a few firms are already doing well. Um, we're making very large investments into being able to make that a, a steady engine. Finding people that I, I have found this that many people are passionate around certain things. Some people are very passionate about business development and making new relationships and capturing new opportunities. Some people are much more passionate about delivering client service, if you will, and the ongoing relationship and executing on the details that that family needs. And what we're doing now is kind of experimenting and breaking some of those things apart. And that way, because the traditional methodology, one of the challenges that I had in the early years was you can't do it all. And so something ends up suffering. And so 
Um, if you are very, if you're incredibly busy with client service and maybe some other responsibilities and wearing multiple hats, then maybe business development suffers. If you're developing a lot of business, um, but you're not putting your time and energy and resources and or you don't have the, the other people on your team to deliver the client services, then maybe service suffers. You can't grow if you're not excelling on both of those fronts. So again, I think maybe there's some innovation in some of that, but following multiple paths to growth is important. Does that answer the question on organic growth? Or do you want to dive into that a little deeper? Do you have a couple of the questions there, maybe? No, um, I, I know we I, can morph into inorganic if you'd like. Yeah, I think it does. And, and let's do that. But you, you hit on something that's really important, right? And, I, it, and I'm not a disciple, but I've, you, know, you and I both have been around the industry long enough. And you maybe think a little bit about Dan Sullivan and unique ability, right? And part of it's sort of the introspection around understanding not only what am I naturally really strong at, but what are areas where I'm you know, less competent or, or I, maybe I can be competent, but it requires so much effort and energy is probably not uh, energy well spent. And even looking at your team as well. So rather than wearing multiple hats, are there certain folks inside of your firm that are just great care, caretakers? They love on clients and to expect them to be good at business development, they'll try, but it's sort of a misuse of their skill and ability. So I think, you know, you were just hitting on something there. And that is in order to really grow and to have everything running on all cylinders, recognizing where not only you, but other members of your team can be most impactful and can contribute and frankly be most satisfied because you're having them do lots of the stuff that they're just really good at. It's great for everyone to contribute to business development, but not everyone necessarily has the ability to do it at the same level. And I think you were sort of getting to that. Is that something that you've identified inside of Accentual? And is that something that you sort of thought about from a practice management standpoint? Well, it's, it's several things. First, you know, I, I personally experienced some of those constraints as we grew and, and had less and less time to spend in some of the areas that needed to be spent. As we hired um, and built out a team in the early years, a lot of that was built kind of around me and or we, we brought on some fantastic advisors to help deliver the, the client experiences and, and, and servicing clients. They weren't necessarily hardwired for business development. And so, you know, you can have a fantastic incentive plan. Um, you can have all the, the tools necessary that somebody that wants to develop business can do it. But if you're not hardwired to do it, you just won't. You, you hit it perfectly well. It's, it's activity and discipline. And those are the things that nobody, you know, puts all that on your calendar. And, and there isn't this urgent button of developing business or reaching out and making a new relationship or whatever that may be. But those are the things that you have to put in your calendar and hold yourself accountable to, to actually doing and accomplishing when at the same time, you know, you have client meetings, you have follow-up, you've got tax returns to um, kind of get out and or, you know, make sure are accurate or all the planning for the deductions or, or those. So there's a lot of work for that client. And that always seems to supersede unless you're hardwired for it. And so as we struggled with some business development, it became clear to us that we needed to change some of the approach and, and give opportunity. And so we've, we've been developing business development teams that are doing really nothing. They don't really have a lot of servicing, if any servicing. Um, there's opportunity within within our organization that if somebody's kind of hardwired for sales and you're in a servicing role, that 
you know, we're creating teams to, to where they can start spending more of their time in business development rather than on the servicing. And so it's a, it's a work in progress, but we're trying to get the, the right people in the right spots that they're hardwired for and passion for. And what we think is we'll, we'll win together as a team by getting a little bit more focused on roles, responsibilities, and accountability. Yeah, a lot of great stuff there. I don't know where I want to go first. I've got three notes that I wrote down, so we can come back to a couple of them, but let's just kind of finish that thought on business development. So at a high level, and it doesn't sound like it's 100% locked and refined yet, but how have you thought through how you would sort of reward someone on the business development side? I spoke to a young person yesterday that we're trying to think about where we might be able to sort of plug in and what the role could be. And they mentioned that they had been on a mayoral team in a relatively short period of time. They could tie themselves directly to roughly 40 or 45 million in assets, but they didn't feel that they had been rewarded because they had brought in, you know, more than twice what the other person had brought in who had been paid essentially similarly, another business, a young business development person on that team. So it seems really important that you have some structure that's variableized it's fixed enough so that someone can eat, but variableized enough so that someone who knocks it out of the park can feel like they're being rewarded for their efforts. Have you thought through at all what that structure might look like? Because I suspect other people listening today who are really trying to grow more uh, substantial firms like yours may have designated business development roles, and you always want to make sure you're rewarding folks that are really delivering the results. That's right. So I think you have to have a combination and you have to be willing. It's, it's a little bit of a risk. A lot of advisors, you know, if, if there's a Jeff and you, I know you've seen this, but if there's a fundamental area where many advisors struggle in is do they invest enough in their business at the expense of current cash flow? And so when you hire or bring on a business development person in, in, in our model, we've got a range of, of, fixed compensation, you know, and that might be in the 75 to say $115,000, $120,000 salary range. And then we've got incentive structure on top of that. And so it's enough of a commitment that they can be dedicated to the role and get started, but they're not going to be able to accomplish their economic objectives on that alone. If they don't produce, then it's been a waste. And many, many firms have dabbled yeah, and I think that's the other thing. You can't dabble in anything. You have to go in and commit to, to a strategy to, for it to work. And so it's a combination of that fixed income salary component and then the incentive component. And we've structured both. And that seems to be working. We've got multiple business development people. Um, we've just hired a new one um, in that's just starting out that's kind of junior. So you can hire some more senior experienced as well as um, some younger, less experienced business development people that have a passion and a track record of success in, in other areas um, to develop a team. So, so I want that's I how to, we're doing it. No, that makes sense. And I want to dig into something you said a moment ago before I forget, because I think this is a differentiator for Essential and different than maybe a lot of other shops. You got, you mentioned financial planning, tax returns, when you say financial planning, it means something different than most. I think that's a competency that you guys have at a very high level. I think it's in, in, a, in a world of sort of commoditization. I think that you guys have sort of embraced the capacity to do a deeper level of planning and provide more sophisticated advice. So talk a little bit about sort of services that Accenture provides and how you try to differentiate yourselves from 
I'm not saying this to be disrespectful, but maybe from advisors that, you know, come from certain type of backgrounds where all they really do is manage money. And if they talk about planning, they're talking about it much more superficially than you guys. Talk about that skill set and talk about the ability you guys have to be able to deliver more advanced planning solutions. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I, I think you hit on something that's very, very important. And, and I would definitely say that today's clients and consumers are substantially more sophisticated than they were 30 years ago, and they demand a lot more from their advisors and the experience that they have. So our core deliverable is wealth advice and execution. Advice without execution or with fragmented execution is is not that does not provide it for a winning combination for a client and family and many many people are looking for more from their financial advisor for them to be able to handle more around their financial their financial life so that they can focus on what's most important to them and so that's what we focused on. So when we think about that, it's really building a platform and a client experience deliverable around that wealth advice and execution. And so when you think about all the components of financial planning, you certainly have your balance sheets, your net worth, and your cash flow statements and planning around that. You've got all your retirement planning, taxation, not just, not just planning, planning over the, the short term, but over the long run, the next 10 or 20 years, the impact of income and estate tax on family businesses and family estates. Um, how are you actually giving advice and how are you helping them to execute on all of the various functions that go on with that? Tax planning, preparation, advice. We handle all of that for our clients. They certainly can have some outside counsel, but we can do it all and or assist and review if they do have outside counsel. Um, more and more, it's important to be able to offer choices within trustee services versus the traditional methodology that they may go at a custodian level and or at one of the local um, regional national banks. So we deliver on all of it and we both give advice and we stand behind that advice and then we execute on those details. That's a different deliverable and it takes a team. That's part of what our platform is. So we think about our investment platform. Um, we have our internal capabilities around stocks and bonds, um, global port, you know, diversified portfolios with funds and ETFs, as well as open architecture for outside managers and or access in the in the private space for large ultra network clients uh, for both credit and equity. So we have um, substantial internal capabilities with an open architecture platform so that we can serve the client and customize the solutions for for what they need and what they want. And it's all focused on the client and what they want, not the limitations of what our capabilities are. That's a a platform that we have um, for clients. We also think it's a winning platform that as advisors are looking to be more competitive, grow their own businesses, think about their own continuity and succession plans, that's the platform of the future. And they either have to build it themselves or think about how they partner with the right people that they can do better work for their clients. Um, that's what that's about. And then on the, on the advice and planning side, it's everything we just talked about. So financial statements, tax prep planning, execution, legal and estate planning, family business, trustee services, insurance, um, valuation placement, all of it. 
No, it's great stuff. It's comprehensive. It's comprehensive. And I think it's just, it's sort of common knowledge, but I think we forget it. You know, when you take a look at many firms in the, in the financial services industry, even go to banks and lending, the more things that you touch with a client, the more sticky the client is, right? So if you're a bank, if they have a savings account and checking and you've got CDs and they're involved in lending, it's harder for somebody to walk away from a relationship the more it's sort of multi-tentacled and multi-pronged. And I think it's, you know, you're creating value add for the client. You're creating multiple revenue streams for your firm. I think you're creating improved retention. So it makes a lot of sense. So I guess the last question I would ask, John, is as you look towards the future, and frankly, as if I'm an individual advisor or running a practice of my own, what are a couple of the key goals you have for your firm to execute on, to incorporate, to get better at? What does Accenture need to do? And what do I need to do as a practitioner in the next couple of years? Where should I be focused thinking about the business that I have today and the business that I would like to see myself operating a couple, two, three years into the future? Sure. So I, I, I may take that question, kind of loop back to something you asked earlier, or maybe, you know, okay, so we're at $3.2 billion in, in client assets. And if, if we want to double over the next, you know, three to five years, say, um, what that really means is we may be serving double the amount of client families. Um, we're going to need um, double, you know, potentially double the, the amount of the number of people and internal stakeholders to deliver on that. So what that really comes down to is, is we are absolutely in a people business. And what does our current team look like? What our current capabilities look like? And be very, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly with that? Where do we need to be? And then getting the right people to continue to, to develop that properly. But that's what's going to that's that's our biggest challenge. I think that's most advisory firms challenge. And conceptually, it's as simple as this, is that in the first half of of my career um, and for many advisors is most of the business revolves around them driving their personal productivity, driving their personal, you know, the, the client experience was really linked to me. It was the personal client experience that I brought. And to get to the next level, it can't have anything to do with me. And that's what our challenge is. So, you know, I'm, I'm just turned 56 this summer. For us to be relevant and thriving in 15 years, we have to have the next generation of best advisors that are incredibly talented, passionate, and driving great experiences for clients. We have to have sales and business development happen in a great way. We have to have um, continual improvement on the platform and deliverables itself. And that requires building a team. And that, that requires building leaders of each area of that team. And so that's, that's what our challenge is. And I'm very proud of the team that we have and where we're going. I think there's some great takeaways, buddy. To summarize, you talked early on about sort of activity and discipline, right? Systems and process, kind of your passion and skill, advice with execution. And then really at the end, I think you're sort of summarizing with talent. You can't, you can't, human capital is one of the most important tools on a team. You can't expand and grow the business without great people to help you run it. So I think there are some great uh, marching orders there for all of us. So at this point, we're going to transition to my favorite part, which is a podcast karaoke. So some great stuff, but thank you for sharing some really, really good takeaways there. 
Uh, absolutely, Jeff. Th- thanks a lot. This has been fun, and, and I appreciate you thinking of me to do it. And I love uh, it. Certainly look forward to doing more projects together in the future. So I guess kind of next step is our uh, little karaoke here. So maybe maybe what I need to do is is, is uh, the audience may or may not know this, but but Jeff, you actually are a lounge singer that moonlights as a financial professional executive during oh the day. Oh my gosh! So uh, it's a little bit a little bit set up here um, and, and a disparate talent as we move into karaoke. So I thought we might do with a little help from my friends. I love it. Would you think if I sang a Do I do when my love is away? Doesn't worry to be alone. How do and I feel by the end of the day? day? Are you sad because you're on your own? Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends. I get by with a little help from my friends. But I try to love from my friends. Do you need anybody? Just need somebody to love. Could it be anybody? I want somebody to love. One show goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can.